You are tuned to the conversation here on Hawaii Public Radio. I'm Catherine Cruz. Dr. Kathleen Kozak of The Body Show is with us in studio today to help take your questions. We are talking about COVID risk. Good morning, Dr. Kozak. Good morning. Aloha Friday. Yes. I can't wait for the weekend. (laughs) You know, our cases, our COVID case counts are averaging 925 a day. But the health department says, in reality, it is likely six times higher than that because of all the testing at home. So what do you make of the CDC moving three of our counties into the red zone? Well, you know, I think other counties are right around the corner with that. I think, Unfortunately, we're in a situation where we used to do a lot of tracking because all the testing was done and it was being monitored at the different labs. But the good news is you can test at home. The bad news is I think she's right. It's not included in the daily count. So I do think that it's much higher, which just illustrates significant community spread. People have sort of gotten tired of COVID and they've let their guard down a little bit. Yeah, uh, you know, we did talk to uh, Mayor uh, Maui Mayor Mike Victorino yesterday afternoon, just after the CDC um, issued their decision. We're monitoring it very closely. I think, uh, like all the other counties, I think today uh, the CDC put us in the red category. I think the entire state is in red right now, except the county of Hawaii, and they're not too far away too. So it's not like they're they're not in the they're out of the woods yet either. I think the, the citizens of our community have to understand this virus will be with us for the rest of our lives, and we just have to learn to manage, to uh, better understand it, and protect ourselves, whatever that protection may be, whether it's uh, good hygiene, uh, vaccinations, uh, wearing of masks to make sure that when you're in large crowds, you protect yourself from getting somebody else's spread. And, you know, I guess at this point in time, you know, we do have a large number of our community vaccinated, which is a good thing. We're working on the boosters. Not everybody can get it. Not everybody. I was kind of bummed. I'm 49 and a half. So you want to be over 50, although the CDC just opened up boostering for kids between ages 5 and 11. And so there are the potential that they could also get a booster shot. But there, there's reasons to get a booster. The studies in the medical journals have reported that even with getting your two initial vaccinations, the immunity level does go down over time. These vaccines are not like some of the other vaccines out there, like measles, that could protect you for life. So we are looking at boosters. And and I tell folks to consider it like the flu shot. You know, everybody in the beginning of the pandemic sort of talked about how this was like the Spanish flu of 1918, 1919, 1920. And yet sometimes we forget we get yearly flu shots. So the fact that we're looking at getting boosters of COVID shots really isn't that surprising. The one thing that I think we have to look at is potentially will the original shots still protect against some of the variants? And I know the big companies are looking at doing studies now and maybe even revising the vaccine to make sure that we can catch up with all the different changes and mutations that it seems to have all the time. And I was fortunate because I was able to sign up for my second booster. Um, But you had an experience. You were trying to help out uh, somebody. and, And it was not that easy. It wasn't. Just last night, I was trying to help out a elderly friend of mine, and she doesn't use the Internet. So, you know, I'm there with my phone because, you know, she doesn't have Wi-Fi. And, and I'm just trying to sign up online. And I have to say, you know, it was difficult. They want your Medicare number. They didn't want your HMSA number. They wanted all this information. You have to attest to all of these things. And you know, I've gotten to the point where reading glasses are now ubiquitous whenever I look at my phone. And I was having a hard time reading the little print and putting in the numbers. It took a lot longer than I expected. I really hope that in a lot of places have said, walk up and you can just tell us and we'll get you a booster. So the more that we make it available easy and simple, the greater the likelihood that people are going to go ahead and take advantage of that. And I've talked to people who said, oh, well, I've had COVID, um, you know, and I've been vaxxed and had my first booster, but I don't, I'm, I'm just not going to get the second one because I'm already protected. But that's not really... Really well, there's the some reasons. Yeah. You know, there's the one of the things that I had just had a patient the other day say to me, they lost their sense of taste and smell. And some of the initial studies have suggested that getting a booster vaccine could accelerate the improvement or recovery of that. So there are reasons why you may still want to consider it. Also, you know, people who had the Delta variant or people who had uh, the earliest Omicron variant, we know that they could still get it again. So the protection, even from having the virus, is not a And it really, it depends on your own personal assessment. If you're otherwise extremely healthy, you had COVID, 
you're not exposed to anybody who's immunocompromised, no one in your household has any sort of medical condition of concern, then there have been some suggestions that you assess your personal risk and your personal activities and consider if you've gotten your primary series and your booster, do you need that second booster right now? It depends on what you do. It depends on where you're at. So uh, there's a lot of questions that people need to ask to assess their personal risk and just make sure they're protecting themselves and the community that they interact with. We had a listener, um, uh, Peter, wants to know, uh, he wrote in, how do you get an antibody test to see if he's had a previous COVID infection? How do you do that? Well, that's a blood test. So there's a difference between doing what's called a virus test and doing an antibody test. Virus tests are like your home kits. Those are the rapid ones you do at home or the PCR test you do at a lab. That's detecting if you actively have infection right now. The antibody tests are to see if you've previously had infection. And some of those tests will tell you if you've had the infection from a year ago, it may still show positive, but it doesn't mean that it's the most recent variant. And so there's a question. If you have a positive antibody test and you think you're immune, but it was a variant that there, that's out there now that you may not have had in the past, then you may still be susceptible to getting an infection. Antibody tests can be done, but you really have to have a reason why that would change your behavior. And if it's not really going to change what you do or change how you protect yourself or others, I'm not really sure it has a point. Well, you know, I've been to a, a number of uh social events, uh, you know, and and they were real good um, earlier about checking your vaccine cards. Um, They don't seem to be doing that now, uh, you know, whether you're going to a restaurant or a a concert or or what have you. Um, But, you know, officials are concerned. You know, we did hear Mayor Rick Blangiardi, you know, just said, look, the numbers are going up. You know, if if we don't get this under control, we could go back to mandatory Mass indoors. We had um, a health director, Dr. Libby Char, said, mm, you know, maybe you might want to think, should we do takeout instead of dine in? You know, so uh, they obviously are concerned about what's happening. Well, we also look to see where the most likely outbreaks. So usually they re- they release a report on how people are getting it. And we're looking at big community events. So big events, whether it be a concert, whether it be a gathering, there's a concern about graduation. A lot of people want to hug one another. Congratulations. See the family. And so you have to think about what your personal risk is. And also, if, if a mask is right for you, I'll be honest, whenever I go places, I will wear a mask, particularly if there's a larger number of people there. And and if, if I don't have to eat or drink while I'm there, then I won't, because that's the one where time when you could be exposed. Right. Well, there is, you know, the tension, right? The, uh, folks don't want to see mandates. Um, you know, we did talk to uh, 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 the Restaurant Association, uh, Greg Maples. Uh, you know, he was just a little concerned about the messaging and the wording uh, or the words that both the mayor and the uh, health director chose. I do think that there are people listening on the mainland, and we have to remember that from a restaurant point of view, we just got through the toughest two years in the history of restaurants, and we're not done because we continue to have inflation, we have supply chain issues, we have restaurant staffing issues, and when people on the mainland, which is primarily where you know the tourists are coming from, when they hear this kind of rhetoric, what happens is they go, you know what? We'll just go to Florida. Let's just go to Florida and not worry about it. We're not going to go back to masks, especially if you can be on a plane and not have a mask but come to Hawaii and have to wear a mask. Yeah, a lot of mixed messaging there. And it's hard. I'll be honest. I really implore people to consider we are living through a pandemic. So some of the recommendations that we made early in 2020 may not be things that make sense now. But some of the things we said even, you know, last year, we may have to change based on what's going on with community spread, based on numbers of patients in the hospital, the ability to take care of people. It's really a combination. There's so many factors that we look at. And we have to consider that what we've said before, or we may need to revise, and we just have to be able to go with that. Yeah, um, you know, I, I think uh, we have heard a lot of economists talk about, you know, if we can control COVID, we can, um, you know, help our, our economy. Um, but the two are tied together. 
They they definitely are. COVID caused a significant change in what was going on economically when it first came out. And people are still struggling. And it's not just financially. There are people struggling emotionally. There are people struggling with health issues and long COVID issues. And so I do know that there is an intricate connection between the economy and what's going on health-wise. But as it's been stated, we need to learn to live with this and find ways to move forward as a society that makes sense for most, if not everybody. You know, we did uh, ask uh, people on the street if they were changing their behavior because of the surge and and how would they feel if mass mandates were put back in. We hear first from Sunny and we hear from Dennis. I'm trying to do a lot more hiking in isolated areas, kind of keeping my distance and everything, trying not to go to more public places. But again, COVID has kind of made things like really isolating feelings. So there's that anticipation to really want to try to get things back to normal, but things are never really going to be normal, are they? You know, some of the issues that we have been having with COVID is not only just a physiological health problem, but a mental health problem as well. I think some people deal with not seeing faces, very troublesome. Um, I know I was having a little issues with it. Some people kind of need to see facial expressions in order to feel comfortable in their day-to-day life. So, I mean, I'm all for it. You know, this world is not really just about me. So, I mean, we all kind of got to stick together. But between the mind and body, you know, that people are going to suffer in some way physiologically from the mental health illnesses that are coming along with COVID. I don't want to get the COVID. I'm not going to spread COVID. So hopefully soon, back to the mandate again. Vaccination is not 100% protect. However, protect me to just get a like, mild or light symptom or I will not die. That's why I followed all the guidance from the federal government said, oh, you get the first one, second one, and third one, booster, and fourth one, booster. So I did everything, follow the guide guideline, because I have uh, pre-diabetics. That's why I don't want just the COVID to die, so. Yeah, you know, I bless, bless his heart, right? He's doing everything that, that he can do to protect himself. He is, and it's hard because some folks look around and they want someone to enforce rules, and that's the other issue is, you know, how do we create a rule and then how do we enforce it and how do we do that safely? We've seen, unfortunately, some major assaults and other issues that have gone on when someone said, please wear a mask, and then they were injured and in some cases even killed after that. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think we did see some violence at a, they get a testing site or a you know vaccination site just here in the islands and and I mean that's just not right. It's just uh, we're just trying to help each other out. We just need to be kind to each other. We know we may we may have differences of opinion, but we do want to keep people safe. You know, if you're just joining the conversation, we're talking about our higher risk level for catching COVID nineteen. And we'd like to know how you're navigating this time. Join our discussion. Call us at 941-3689 or 1-877-941-3689 from the neighbor islands. Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from Queens Island Urgent Care, treating non-life-threatening illnesses and injuries at six locations across Oahu. Walk-ins welcome. Learn more at queens.org. Got an event you think our listeners might like? How about submitting it to the HPR community calendar? It's free. Whether it's an art exhibit, a live performance, or something for the whole family, we're looking for your events. Submit your event at hawaiipublicradio.org slash events.
You are back with the conversation here on Hawaii Public Radio. I'm Catherine Cruz, and I'm here with Dr. Kathleen Kozak of The Body Show. We're talking about uh, the risk of catching COVID at this point in time. You know, our vaccination rates are up across the state, but unfortunately, our COVID case counts are very high. Uh, We saw a spike back with Delta, and we saw lots of deaths back then. Uh, We we should probably make the point that... um, I think just this week uh, we passed a major milestone with the, the fatality rates across the country. Today, we mark a tragic milestone here in the United States. One million COVID deaths, one million empty chairs around the family dinner table, each irreplaceable, irreplaceable losses, each leaving behind a family, a community, forever changed because of this pandemic. My heart goes out to all those who are struggling. And that was President Biden um, talking about making that uh, milestone. And here in Hawaii, I believe the cases are like about 1,400, so we're creeping up to 1,500 fatalities here. We are. I do think that the... The only positive light towards the end of this tunnel, which hopefully will have an end, is that we are seeing that the current variant is not resulting in as many hospitalizations or deaths. So that's a positive, if we could ever think of something like that as positive. Uh, But we are seeing that, you know, the Omicron variant and the variations of that variant are not seeming to cause as many significant episodes of people being in the hospital. But that being said, it still doesn't mean that the most vulnerable folks, if they were to get exposed, might not be in that situation. So I look to see who's who's contacting me in my office. So just this past couple of weeks or so, I've had a significant increase in the number of people who have done home tests. Either they purchased them at the pharmacies or they got them online or they went to the government website and had free home tests. And if you have symptoms and you test positive, that's most likely that you are positive. And they're they're not necessarily getting reported And these are folks who may not have significant serious illness, but sometimes they're still doing things a little bit sooner than they should. So, you know, they're told to quarantine for five days and after that go out with a mask. And often I'll hear them say, well, I had a party or my cousin had an event or I didn't want to miss something. Or you find out that, well, I I thought my symptoms were getting better or I didn't feel that bad. So I went anyway. And so I really implore people just to take a look at what your personal situation is. And if you are going to an event where there could be other vulnerable individuals, really think about what would happen if you had it and exposed someone to it who wouldn't have that same capacity to fight it off. So if you're going to an event where there might be people who are vulnerable, whether they be older, immunocompromised, cancer patients, whatever it might be, to really think hard if you're going to be extra careful, test yourself before you go, which is a recommendation some big events have done. And also wear a mask if you have, and if you have any symptoms whatsoever, no one will mind if you cancel last minute because you're sick and you don't want to expose their family. That happens. Yeah, and you know, you mentioned that this is a popular uh, time for graduations. You know, weddings are coming up. Um, I was at a venue and uh, the folks said, oh yeah, this coming weekend we've got someone who postponed her wedding seven times you know, over the last two years. And, and it's an outdoor venue, but, you know, people are mindful. They want to be careful. They don't want any of their guests to get sick. Uh, I talked to a, a bride who, you know, had an event and, and she got sick right after uh, the wedding. And you're just like, oh, you know. You got COVID on your wedding. That's <laughs> yeah. just not fair. Yeah. So um, anyway, uh, we do have a uh, caller on the line, Bob from Ho Now Now. What's on your mind? Well, I have a procedure scheduled for Monday. I have to fly to Honolulu from Kona, and I'm wondering if I should just cancel it, hearing all this talk of, of the COVID over there. Well, it's a great question, Bob, but I guess the the answer to that depends on what the procedure is. So, you know, if you have a procedure that you really need to do for your own health status, my suggestion would be that you wear a mask on the plane, even if it's not required, and that you protect yourself by making sure that you're not interacting in major groups if you can avoid it. Uh, there's, there's always the potential that when you get here, you may want to get some food. And if you're concerned about going to restaurants, then you can always go ahead and get takeout or eat with, with 
your close family that have all been hopefully negative and tested. Uh, but it really depends on the procedure, what it's for, and if it's okay to postpone it. You know, we've seen a lot of folks who have postponed what seemed to be minor procedures, but it turns out that their health suffered as a result of that. So it depends on what you're doing, Bob, and how important it is that you get on top of that. You know, and uh, I know uh, I just saw my doctor recently, and she was wearing a double mask and a shield, you know. So, yeah, if you get on a plane, you're in an airport or crowds, you just might want to take those extra precautions if, you know, you do decide to travel here. But we thank you for that call. But I, I think a lot of folks are wondering because things change so fast and you just don't know uh, how much it's circulating. Well, and I always say that it's your personal choice to wear a mask. So if a store doesn't require it, if a restaurant doesn't require it, but you choose to wear it, that's okay. And you shouldn't feel ashamed if you want to do that. Ironically, when we think about it, in the 2020-2021 flu season, we didn't really see the flu influenza. And part of the reason we didn't is because everybody was doing these other measures. They were sanitizing their hands. They were wearing a mask. They were avoiding group gatherings. If they were sick, they were staying home. So we didn't see another virus that's also a respiratory virus that's fairly contagious, not as much as COVID, but it was because of all these other measures we were taking. So let's not forget the power of hand washing and sanitizing and making sure that you're wearing a tight-fitting mask, one that actually covers your nose. Don't put it down below your nose because that's not really helping. So there are other measures other than just wearing a mask that people should consider. You know, we did uh, talk to uh, epidemiologist Tim Brown. He's with the East-West Center. He looks at things globally uh, and and tracks those things very closely. Um, He thinks that, uh, you know, masks and vaccines, you know, maybe shouldn't be the only tools in our arsenal. We put huge amounts of money basically in producing clean water, drinkable water, that people can use, you know, problems like Red Hill aside. But but look at the focus, attention that we got on Red Hill, okay? What we need is we need a comparable effort put in on guaranteeing clean air in public spaces. And by clean air, I mean air that does not contain infectious diseases, respiratory pathogens. And we know how to do that. You know, improve the ventilation, HEPA filters in rooms, improving the flow-through ventilation in places, watching CO2 levels, making sure they stay low in places. If they get high then that means you've got a lot of dead air and you basically have probably a lot of virus circulating in that air. So CO2 monitoring could help. You know, so we really need a commitment to providing clean air to people. Just the same way we have a commitment to providing clean water to people. And, you know, we've seen efforts, you know, in in that direction. I mean, even here, we've got those HEPA filters going, you know, this... We do. Even on, you know, one of the safest places would be an airplane, believe it or not, because they have the filtration system set up to filter that air like every second. I mean, it truly is pretty amazing. So we know the technology is out there, particularly for certain areas where we employ it. Not everybody needs to have a HEPA filter in their house if they can open up the doors and open up the windows and get good air circulation. But I do think that for enclosed environments, there has to be some extra extra attention paid to those situations those details. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I went to an event and uh, was a little nervous at so many people without masks. And I, I went outside for a bit, you know, I didn't mean to be antisocial, but you just want to make sure that uh, you, you're got, not getting a, um, a, a big dose of someone's viral load that might be spreading it in the room. Well, and that comes to the question of when you're eating, what should you do? So we've seen some spread in gatherings where everybody takes off their mask to eat, and then they just sort of, that's that's part of sitting close together and doing that. So that's one of the times when you have to assess what is your personal risk, and what do you want to do in that situation? And if you feel comfortable, and you're not around anyone who's ill, and everyone's either pre-tested or most of the people are vaccinated, it should be safe. But you have to take a look at a gathering and say, do I know? these folks and is this an event where everybody's gathered inside close together then you can always find like you did a place outdoors you can wear your mask you know I've had certain patients that have told me the only time they took their mask off on an airplane which they chose to wear it on the plane was when they were eating and then they put it right back on and they did okay as opposed to not wearing it at all and just taking their chances. And it depends. Some Certain people feel like that's worth putting that effort into. And, you know, a lot of folks have gotten kind of comfortable wearing a mask. I mean, in the beginning, everybody said, not possible, can't breathe. I don't hear those complaints so much anymore. Yeah, um, a friend actually said, gosh, those uh, N95s, you, you can actually breathe better 
than than some of the other types of masks, the surgical mask or the uh, uh, the cloth mask, which I thought was interesting. Some of my allergy and asthma patients are loving it because, particularly for those with allergies, they're like, "I'm not having exacerbations." I'm going to continue to do this. And it's almost now become socially acceptable because everyone thinks they're doing it for one reason, but they've seen a benefit for other health areas, too. So, you know, it's it's one of those harmless interventions for the majority of folks. Wearing a mask shouldn't hurt you. And if you choose to do it, it could potentially protect you from getting an exposure. And that that could help you health wise. And, you know, uh, Tim Brown uh, had said that with infectious diseases like COVID, that it's he thinks it's short-sighted to pay attention just to what's happening in Hawaii or just even the United States. What happens in the rest of the world gets here within days, quite literally. Okay, so, you know, by the time we detected the original Omicron outbreak in South Africa, we've gone back and we've actually, you know, and people have actually found there were samples of Omicron in the United States before we even found it in South Africa. Our air travel network is so connected now, that as soon as it shows up in one place, it's literally a matter of days or weeks before it ends up just about every place else. And so that interconnectedness of the world now means that we can't ignore what's happening, for example, in Southeast Asia at this point. What's happening there could affect us very much. So if a new variant were to develop there, it would be here within a matter of days, if not weeks. And so that interconnectedness means we can't afford to ignore the rest of the world. But the problem is when it comes to low-income countries, they still have vaccination rates that are on the order of 10 to 15 percent. We have ignored them in that regard. And then you have other countries, um, you know, like Japan or China, where the elderly, you know, the rates are not as high as, let's say, they are in the U.S. It is kind of interesting when you take a look at the availability of vaccinations. And I do think that he has a strong point about the interconnectedness of the entire globe. You know, and it's ironic when South Africa first reported the Omicron variant, one of the things that happened was they, it, there were a couple of sites that said, you know, they were the first ones to report it. But they weren't the first ones to see it. They just raised their hand and said, hey, we see something unusual. But as he mentioned, it was already present in other areas before they officially said, hey, we have a variant. And we're sort of seeing that now. You know, the original Omicron came around and then they started looking at the BA2 and they started looking at various different levels of variant penetration in the community spread. And so we are needing to consider that variants happen when the virus is allowed to mutate. And the more that it's allowed to circulate in countries, even outside of the U.S., the greater the likelihood that we are going to have new variants come about, new mutations. So it does need to be a global approach to trying to target how we can either share vaccination or work on some of the spread Work on some of the ideas of washing your hands. Certain countries don't have clean water. That becomes an issue. Sanitizing and providing all of these materials to those countries to help protect themselves. I do think in a lot of cases, the health structure in some developing countries is such that they may have a huge number of deaths from COVID, but they may not be able to tell that's what it is. So if we don't take a more global approach to controlling this, we are bound to see this become more of an issue as time goes on. You know, it was interesting. We did uh, a chat with a Kaiser doctor who went back uh, to help uh, uh, those on the, uh, um, in the who were involved in the Ukraine situation. She was at a Polish, uh, you know, on the border at a camp there. And, and I asked her about COVID because, you know, you see these pictures on TV and nobody's wearing masks. And she said, you know, interestingly enough, in the time that she was there, they didn't have very many respiratory issues. Uh, but then they don't. They also don't have the capacity to do a lot of testing or the treatments because it's you know they're, this is like a war zone in some of those areas. And that becomes the other issue is if that's if if you're dealing with something that is much more life threatening, then you may not stop to go ahead and do epidemiological studies of COVID infections if you're really dealing with life or death situations. And in other countries, that may be the issue as well. So we we will never get completely accurate statistics because certain people may not be able to be tested. And so they may have minor symptoms and hopefully recover from it. 
But the other key element is when you get one infection, that doesn't mean you're protected against all future COVID infections. That this idea of the mutations and the fact that some of those make your immune system not necessarily be able to protect you against a future exposure. I've seen patients who have gotten COVID more than once. So just having it doesn't mean you won't get it again. So in these areas where they may not see it, it could still be spreading and could be underlying in that location. But that doesn't mean they're going to be protected again if a different mutation happens six months, 12 months later. And I think that's a good point because we still don't know enough about the long-term effects and uh, repeat cases of people getting infected. I've seen them. And the good news is that most often when I see the repeat cases, they say, oh, last time it was worse. So there may be some ability for the body to recognize enough to minimize some of the symptoms. But, you know, there are some folks who may have gotten it originally. And a couple of years later, if they still have an immunocompromising condition or they have some other health issue that puts them at high risk, if they get it a second time, their heart may not be strong enough this time. Or maybe they've had some other medical condition arise in the meantime that makes them more susceptible to a greater severity of illness. You know, um, one uh, point that uh, epidemiologist uh, Tim Brown brought out is that we, you know, we need to be looking ahead uh, for the fall. You know, we're, we're just getting into the summer now, but he, he says we need to look at the, at the fall uh, and, you know, w- what are we doing? And he's concerned about the funding issues uh, for purchasing, you know, more vaccines. But, you know, we can't afford to give vaccines to every American in the U.S. until we get more money. In the fall, we are probably going to need some of the new bivalent vaccines that contain an Omicron and one of the older variants. That's probably what we want to be using for vaccinating people in the fall. But right now, Congress will not appropriate the money basically to make that happen. And that means that we're going to end up in the situation that the poorer countries have been in which is countries like Germany are placing their vaccine orders for fall right now. So they are basically going to be lobbying up the supply so that when we decide finally that we want to buy some, there may not be vaccines available. Everything that the companies can produce may already be committed to other countries. So it's incredibly short-sighted, the fact that we're not willing to you know, provide additional resources right now to front load those purchases of vaccines, front load the purchase of Paxlovid and any other new therapeutics that come out, we are simply not going to be ready in the fall for another wave. And there almost certainly will be another wave in the fall. So I think, you know, it's, we're just not, you know, we haven't learned the lessons of the last two years yet. That's the problem. So, yeah, he's a little worried about what could come. As we all need to be concerned about that, because, you know, in the beginning, the testing was based on nasal swabs. Do we have enough? Do we make enough masks? Do we have enough protecting gowns? There's a lot of lessons that hopefully we've learned in hospitals. But as far as trying to provide preventative measures, we really need to look at our supply chain and how we can make that uh, more secure to make sure we have the supplies we need to fight this if it surges again. All right. Well, you are listening to the conversation here on Hawaii Public Radio. You can join our discussion about current COVID conditions by calling 1-877-941-3689. Stay with us. We'll be right back after a short break. Support for The Conversation comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributors Naamea Hawaii and PCAT, Pacific Center for Advanced Technology Training. When Gerard Carmichael's latest comedy special, Rathaniel, came out, so did he. Our friends at Pop Culture Happy Hour discuss. He's not really telling jokes. He's really just like sharing these different revelations and experiences that he has. And I just thought it was so wonderful. I tweeted after watching it that it's like Nanette for black people. More on Rathaniel next time on It's Been a Minute from NPR. Beginning Saturday at noon following Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. 
Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from the Honolulu Museum of Art with a mission to create relevant and transformative experiences through art with collections of Asian, European, and American works, including arts of Hawaii and textiles. HonoluluMuseum.org. You're back with the conversation here on Hawaii Public Radio. We have a caller on the line, Sean from Kapolei. Hi, good morning. Thanks for having me. Um, I, I wanted to ask about the value of uh, nose rinsing and in preventing uh, infection. Uh, I'm a heart failure, I'm not, sorry, I'm a heart transplant patient, so I'm immunocompromised. And I've been using um, AYR as a type of uh, air nasal saline rinse, and I wanted to ask about the effect of um, you know, the value of uh, rinsing out those type of pathogens from your upper upper airway and the saline that could disrupt the cell wall, membrane, and further uh, uh, division, cell division, and also the opening of the airway that, that it provides. I was wondering if you had any comments to the value of uh, rinsing. And I, I do that when I go out in public and several times a day to as a, an extra measure to masks and washing hands and so forth. So I wonder if you had any comments on that. Well, I'll tell you, it's an interesting idea. I don't think it's harmful because it's just saline. I would be very uh, careful about putting any other type of chemical in your nose because, you know, normally our body has a certain amount of bacteria that are supposed to be there. And we don't necessarily want to disrupt that. We call it the body's microbiome. So if you go ahead and rinse out all the type of bacteria in your nose, even the ones that protect you, then you're opening up space to let other things in. So, you know, doing it occasionally or doing it throughout the day with just a saline rinse is fine, but adding any other kind of chemical to that probably wouldn't be a good idea. Now, we have not found that doing any type of nasal rinse with any kind of substance, whether it be a diluted bleach or whether it be some type of steroid or whether it be any kind of antiviral sort of liquid form, we haven't seen that that's really helped protect people from getting exposed and or getting infected. But you mentioned some other things you do, which are fantastic. And you said, in addition to hand washing, and sanitizing and masks. So the things that we do know that work are the things you're already taking care of and doing. So if you choose to use a nasal spray, you can. Again, it's saline. Saline is just salt water, so it's not going to be harmful. But I would be careful of anybody thinking putting any other kind of substance in their nose would help. And, you know, it's interesting because the one thing I always tell folks is, don't pick your nose. I mean, I know that sounds silly, but everyone does. And if you take hands that are not clean and you put them directly in your nose, good things are not going to happen. So do be careful with exposures. But, you know, if you're going to use a saline spray, that's probably not going to harm you. And I can't necessarily say it's doing any good. But those other things you're doing are excellent. So keep up the good hygiene habits. And we have a, a query from another uh, listener out there. Uh, who writes, I saw something from the county that said masking was recommended for at-risk people. I thought the regular surgical mask protected others more so than the wearer. Is that old news? It's kind of an interesting thing. You know, the surgical mask will protect you from potentially coughing and emitting particles if you are sick. It may also help you from directly inhaling someone else's stuff. Uh, but it's not necessarily just on a one-sided basis. They did do some studies looking at particulate matter. And if there's one infected COVID person in a room with the newer variants and another person is in that room and they're not wearing masks for either one of those two, within a couple of minutes, there is an exposure. And it's less than the six feet, 15 minute that original Omicron was declared by the CDC. If you have the COVID patient wearing a surgical mask and the other person not wearing it, then you probably have a little bit more time, maybe a half an hour, maybe 45 minutes. If you have both people wearing a mask, COVID positive surgical mask, other non-infected person surgical mask, you've got about an hour or two before you would potentially have enough exposure if both people were relatively asymptomatic. And then if you wear your N95s, 
Ooh, if both people are wearing an N95, you've got eight or nine hours that you may potentially be able to, to be in that space with a very tightly fitting mask. And if both people are asymptomatic and one of them happens to be COVID positive, you have a lot more time before you potentially would have gotten exposed enough to get infected. It really has to do with the type of mask, how carefully and closely you're wearing it, and also if the person who's positive has symptoms or not. If you've got a lot of symptoms, you're going to have more virus you're spreading than if you barely have any symptoms at all. So there's a lot of variables that go along with that. And I would suggest anybody who's wearing a mask not appropriately to consider wearing it over your nose and making sure it's tight-fitting. You don't have to wear four or five masks. You know, you can wear one, maybe two if you're wearing a cloth mask. Uh, There's certain types that are better than others and to just be careful that you're doing something to protect yourself if you're going to an area that might have some risk and we have another question from Alarka. she says thank you for the program she says i tried both cvs and walmart to schedule my second booster walmart was easier to navigate on the cvs site she could not get a, an appointment locally only at a cvs 14 miles away she's had three pfizer shots and wonders if it'd be beneficial to get a moderna booster does it provide additional or different immunity great question because i had that question myself not that long ago and you know the issue right now is that they are showing that people who have a combination of the pfizer and moderna that there's a little bit different of immunity that's presented to the body for both of with those two different vaccinations so originally you know i had two pfizer shots and my third shot is pfizer and again i'm Six months short of my age requirement for the fourth shot. But when I get there, I'm going to do it. But that being said, I've done all Pfizer just because of availability, and I'd want to do a Moderna. Some of the studies have shown the type of immunity you're going to get is slightly different and that it is good to mix and match those. So it shouldn't be a problem if you change out your mRNA vaccines. The Moderna shot may provide a little bit more longitudinal immunity. So if you've gotten Pfizer all along, Moderna is a good choice. If you've only gotten Moderna, you could stick with that or you could try Pfizer. Slightly different protection. It's good to mix and match. Yeah, and I have, I think, two Pfizers and two Modernas. You went half and half. Good (laughs) idea. And, you know, when we talked to uh, State Health Director uh, Dr. Libby Char, you know, she was urging people to take uh, precautions not just to protect themselves, but others in the community as well, like our healthcare workers. We're also mindful of how many of our healthcare workers are out sick. That's part of our community, right? So when, when COVID goes up in the community, hospital employees are also getting sick. Uh, people that work in clinics and in nursing homes, they're also getting sick. And so we really need to keep an eye on what is our capacity to care for people, not just COVID patients, but all the people that need healthcare. Yeah, we can't forget our healthcare workers. They're out on the forefront and they're tired too. Well, and that is an issue because when we talk about capacity of hospitals to take care of any patients, that includes people who need heart surgery, have joint replacements, have other types of medical conditions, strokes that require attention. And we can't have large quantities of nurses and doctors out because then there's not enough staffing. And that becomes a not a, such a safe environment. So we've seen that earlier with nursing homes and the potential that they don't have the number of workers they need. And that's because everyone's out sick from COVID. So particularly if you happen to be in a household with someone who's a healthcare worker, you need to be extra careful so you don't bring it home. And also they need to be extra careful so they don't expose themselves unnecessarily if there's a big family party or if there's some type of event where they're more likely to get it. It does mean sacrifice and it happens to everybody. Well, we've got about seven minutes left in our program. We invite our listeners to call in with questions or comments about, you know, how they're feeling uh, with uh, the COVID numbers going up. Um, You know, are you comfortable uh, going out? Are you changing your behavior, scratching things off your to-do list? Um, Call us uh, here at uh, 1-877-941-3689 from the neighbor islands or here on Oahu, 808-941-3689. And, you know, when we did talk to the Hawaii Restaurant Association, uh, who's, you know, they were concerned about, you know, reinstituting mandatory mask wearing uh, and, and a push toward takeout versus in, indoor dining. Um, Greg Maple says, you know, we all know what to do. We know what the tools are in our toolbox. We know what to do. We know what to do. We know as soon as you start feeling it, don't come to work. You know, isolate, stay home, get tested. If you come back, wear a mask. You know, we know all of these things. 
And restaurant owners and operators are living on a razor's edge. And so they are making good, sound decisions to not let people who are sick work, to not invite employees back who are sick, because they're living on that razor's edge. They cannot afford to have that perception in a restaurant that they have people that are sick. Yeah, um, we just should stay home (laughs) if we're sick. And you don't necessarily get the exposure from the restaurant workers. The majority of them are wearing masks. They're very careful. They're handling food carefully. That's not where you get it. You get it from the other people you went to dinner with. More likely, it's the person who sat at your table that you sat across from who might have actually had some minor symptoms but met you for dinner. You're much more likely to get it from the companion that you spend your dinner time with than you are from the restaurant worker that comes to your table and drops off food and wears a mask and then goes back. So, you know, it also it's it's difficult because restaurants can't control who decides to come and sit at the patrons tables. The patrons choose that. So choose your dinner guests wisely. And if you're not sure and or you want to include people and you want to make sure that the elderly folks are safe, then go and go to a gathering that's outside and eat at a table outdoors where there's fresh air or, you know, be careful with the seating arrangements. So, you know, it's really it's unfortunate restaurants and bars and other places that have the gatherings. It's often it's not the employees who are making the patrons sick. It's the patrons who are gathering and somebody in that small group has an illness and they're more likely to give it amongst themselves. Yeah, someone I know went to a, a movie for the first time, and it was a, an opening night, and it was crowded, and, and, you know, they took off their masks and ate popcorn, and I think uh, five days later tested positive, and we're sure that's where they got it. But, you know, you, you just don't know, and you should, you know, modify your behavior. Keep your masks on if, if you're, you know, in an enclosed room just to be careful. Well, and if you really want to go see the movie, maybe don't have the popcorn. Just wear your mask. I mean, that's one way that you could potentially do the activity with not necessarily increasing your risk, and that's that's something you could do. Or eat at home before you go so that you don't feel hungry and you hear everyone else's crunching or you smell popcorn, which smells fabulous, <laughs> and then say, I've got to have that. So there are some ways you can still incorporate things you love but not necessarily increase your risk. And, you know, I think this weekend we, we're going to be seeing a lot of the uh, private school uh, graduations. I know they've been trying to limit the number of guests that are involved in those activities. Um, lots of uh, uh, restrictions about, you know, lay giving. And they just want people to be mindful when there are thousands of people in, in, a, in a venue. And you have to think about the statistical likelihood that someone there is infected and how much you want to expose yourself to that. So, again, it's difficult because this is a big celebration weekend, but I I really want people to consider that if you have older family members who have medical conditions or on chemotherapy or they're of certain ages, that if they, if they get exposed, it may not be the graduate who has symptoms or concerns. It may be their family members. So it really does take everyone in the community to be mindful and to just be extra careful. And if you're sick, just stay home. We have another call. Donald from Honolulu. What's your question? My question is, is if I take the vaccine or if I take a booster, does it actually give me any immunity? Well, that's a great question, and I think a lot of people have had that. And the idea is that your immune system will react to what's given in that vaccine, and your immune system will build up immunity against what that vaccine is is for. So if it's a COVID shot, you will get immunity to COVID. If there are potential decreases in the percentage of that shot that is matched with the latest variant, the immunity may not be 100%. But what we've seen time and time again, not just in the United States, but across the world, are that those people who are getting vaccinated have milder courses and are less likely to wind up in the hospital than people who are unvaccinated. And that's been found to be true for the whole entire time of this pandemic. So I would suggest if you're of the age where you should get vaccinated and boosted, and if you're lucky enough to get that second booster, you go for it. That's going to give you some protection. We had another caller um, ask this question. Uh, they had the JJ vaccine, Johnson & Johnson, last year, and they've heard nothing about a booster. Why is that? 
Well, they found that the Johnson & Johnson shot, as good as it was, probably doesn't give the same longitudinal immunity as the mRNA vaccinations. So the CDC has recommended that anybody who's received a J&J shot actually get a booster with the Pfizer or Moderna shot. There were also concerns with the J&J shot and blood clots and a couple of other side effects. So they've really recommended that instead of getting a booster J&J, you actually get a booster of the Pfizer or Moderna shot. Any final thoughts as we are where we're at at this point in time with COVID? I'm going to just keep wearing a mask, doing my best, and hopeful that I can still take care of patients and make sure that they stay healthy and encourage everybody to look at your own personal risk and assess what makes the most sense for you. Yeah, um, you know, we've got, like I said, a a busy time coming up with uh, graduations, with weddings. Uh, So we just want to encourage people to play it safe. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, uh, the other point I think we should uh, stress, and, and uh, this was something that Dr. Libby Char wanted to get out, is if you do test positive, you know, whether it's a home test or whatever, call your doctor because there are lots of treatments that are out there that are available, but you have to start those treatments, I think, within five days. Is that right? You do. So make a call. And there is also a lot of virtual urgent cares. You don't even have to leave your house. So you can communicate to a doctor online if you don't have a regular doctor. And they can also arrange and see if you're a candidate for some of those treatments and send the prescription into the pharmacy if you need it. Okay. So lots of uh, resources out there if you find yourself with a positive test. Uh, you know, you, you do want to uh, reach out and see what's the best uh, course of treatment for you. Well, we would like to thank Dr. Kathy Kozak for her time today, and we'd like to thank you, the listener, for joining us on today's show. It is Aloha Friday, uh, and coming up next week, we'll get an update on the 2022 Point in Time Count, and we'll talk story with musician John Cruz about the 25th anniversary of his classic album, Acoustic Soul. If you heard something this week that stuck with you, if you still want to share your thoughts on the current phase of this pandemic, call our Talkback line. Leave your comments. That's 808-792-8217. You can write to us at talkback at hawaiipublicradio.org. You can also listen back to our shows on the conversation page of our HPR website. Our program is produced by Savannah Harriman-Pote, Russell Subiono, and Lillian Song. Our backyard quiz theme, written for us by John DeMello, and our theme music is courtesy of Gypsy 808. I'm Catherine Cruz. Join us on Monday. Pick up the conversation.